Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, greetings from Tennis Podcast Towers, Melbourne, where you find myself, David and Matt, on the sofa at a mere... 33 minutes past midnight. It's an early night. We've finally done it. (laughs) Of course, tennis hasn't finished for the day. Don't be ridiculous. It actually might be quite far from finished for the day because as we come to you on the second court at Melbourne Park, Maria Sakkari, the sixth seed, one of only two Netflix participants still standing, uh, trails by a set to Zhu Lin, the 28-year-old from China. She is, of course, coming back. Uh, she's 3-1 <laughs> up in the second set. Of course, as soon as she goes behind in the score, she mounts a comeback. It looks like it's probably going to a third. Who knows what will happen? We'll keep you posted. But if today has been anything to go by, what she might do is come back, but not all the way back. Yeah. That, that, I feel like that's been a theme. I feel like there have been a lot of people that saw what Andy Murray did last night, sorry, this morning, and thought, I'll have a bit of that. But they're not quite Andy Murray. Yeah, I, th- I thought this is infectious, mm. and he's inspired a few here. And they'll all have those images of Murray in their minds when they're two sets to love down. And I think I think they may well have done. But I think it just shows how hard it is. It's It's hard enough to do what, Denis Shapovalov did, for instance, getting back to two sets all. But then you, you've climbed one of the mountains, and then you've got to climb another one. And it's, it's different in the fifth. It's so different. Mm. Yes, we had um, Denis Shapovalov try it, Francis Tiafo try it. Yannick Sinner did manage to come back from two sets to love down today, his, his first time doing that. And then uh, there was a, almost a come back from Danielle Collins wasn't there she mm. she won a set but but couldn't finish it off so yeah that that very much has been a theme but uh I felt like I needed those sort of half comebacks in a way I know that it sort of did end up sort of dragging out the evening session but to me that's what got me back into tennis after my Andy Murray hangover <laughs> because yes there was a five minute period where it was like someone had run a jolt of electricity through Matt <laughs> because it had been 
a slightly sluggish day. That's generous. Let's be, let's be honest. It started Matt, we were discussing okay. sort of what topics other than tennis we could talk about in the podcast. The, the thing is, even if you rewind further to to how the day unfolded in the apartment, I mean, obviously we go to bed at seven a.m. and then. When you were up and about, everybody seemed in a great... We were all buzzing when we finally got up in the early afternoon. And then Matt hit the wall. I did. I was, <laughs> I was prepared to almost have today as a bit of a write-off. But then, um, yeah, that, that bolt of electricity was watching three matches simultaneously. It was sort of first-day vibes all over again. And they were all at such crucial moments. Korda, Medvedev, um, Herkak, Shapovalov and Tiafo. Hatchinov. I just found it absolutely exhilarating. I didn't know where to look. There were pit players fluffing chances. There were players taking their chances. It was just just great there, and it's. I feel like it's got me back into the tournament. It was my um, it was my Muguruza Kvitova from the U.S. Open, which got me back into it after the Serena story had finished and. So I'm thankful for all those players. I'm, I'm re-engaged in the Australian Open. I love watching Matt with his screens. <laughs> it's one of my favourite Grand Slam mm-hmm. things. Matt, I'm going to let you choose which of those matches uh, we talk about first. Uh, and while you choose, because I've put you on the spot there, I'm going to remind you all that this podcast and all our podcasts throughout the Australian Open are sponsored by On Location the premium hospitality and experience provider that bring us to Indian Wells for the first time there's a lot of lot of play, lot of big players already thinking about Indian Wells and thinking that can't come round soon enough i saw a very sad post from Matteo Berrettini oh. the other the other day Carlos Alcaraz has posted a training photo today i'm i'm hoping i'm hoping for Indian Wells for him oh that would be good wouldn't it he's grown his hair out David. I noticed that. I, he looks younger, doesn't he? I always look at his hair as a, a sort of marker in some way. And I, I, I like it when he does the shaved head thing. Uh, but I'm already I, thinking about I, Indian Wells as although well. Although he's training on clay. So yes. maybe who, he's planning who a knows what's comeback happening before then. There. But uh, I, I, I blimmin' hope he's going to be in Indian Wells. Uh, we will be in Indian Wells. We'll all be there together for the first time. Uh, we're all, obviously, or actually on location are offering a 5% discount offer to all friends of the tennis podcast for all Steve Fogel's international tennis tours throughout 2023. They've given us one of their Steve Fogel's international tennis tours packages to the Miami open presented by Itau. That's in March, obviously after Indian Wells, the second part of that sunshine double. Um, and that will go to one lucky tennis podcast newsletter subscriber in the US or the UK. Uh, and that subscriber will win a three night stay at the Miami Open, the official tournament hotel, two guests, breakfast with Talon Greeks poor if you want it, <laughs> uh, tickets for two full day and night sessions with premium hospitality, beer and wine transportation to the venue all of that included the link to subscribe to the newsletter is in our show notes it's absolutely free and easy to do that do it if you haven't already and the url to enter the competition is toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast tours the number four tennis.com forward slash podcast matt what would you like to lead with well i think it has to be the match we've just finished watching, Sebastian Corder beating Daniil Medvedev. And I'm going to throw it straight over to David because David messaged after one game of this match to oh, say this that Corder is winning. So 
David, A, congratulations. Yeah. And B, please please tell us why you well, thought that. that earned me precisely zero points because I didn't put that in the <laughs> newsletter predictions, which you can also read every day if you subscribe to the newsletter. But, I mean, I, I was commentating on the first set, and I think it's the first time I've seen Corda up close. Um, I, I've watched him for a couple of years now. Always enjoy watching him on TV, but I did feel like he'd plateaued a little bit because of his movement. If you stretch mm. him wide, I think there are times when he, his lack of explosiveness in, in his movement can end up holding him back. I also think I, I've, I've tended to feel like his serve isn't as explosive as it should be. It doesn't do as much damage. He doesn't win enough easy points with it. But I watched the first three points of the match and I ended up thinking, I'm not sure how Daniel Medvedev wins many points in this match, the way, the way those three points unfolded, because Medvedev did what he does. He kept a great length. He moved well. He hit his hard ground strokes flat. But there was more on Seb Korda's ground strokes when it was toe-to-toe. Plus, when he was attacked... He diffused the attack with a backhand slice, and he has really nice feel with that stroke. And then what I absolutely love is when he really pulls the trigger on a shot. It's not automatic point-ending power every time. It's not one of those forehands. It's measured power. It's controlled aggression that he's got. And so he puts a lot of pressure on you. But the big difference, what separates him from everybody else on the circuit today, is the, is the instinct to go to the net after he's opened up the court. His confidence with the volleys, his touch around the net, his sheer wingspan. I mean, I said he's got a wingspan like a pterodactyl. I mean, he's like a, he's just everywhere. But I just looked at the makeup of the match and I thought, I don't see how Medvedev beats this guy if, if he can keep this up. And look, he, he only kept it up for five games. He broke twice and went 4-1 up. And then... He really did come unstuck for a while. And, and, uh, but the thing is, he somehow won the set. I mean, it was an hour and 25 minutes, that set. And then I don't think Medvedev was the same again, to be quite honest. And there's just the one final thing I'd, I'd say about Korda, one real weapon in his armory, his demeanor. He gives you nothing. He, he must be horrible to play against because you don't know where, where you stand. I think he's a real, real player, Seb Korda. Can I can I tell you one other great thing about Seb Corder? He he taps his dad, or he did today. I think it was his <coughs> Rod Laver Arena debut, wasn't it? He tapped his dad's name. Oh, did he on the Walker Champions on the way onto court? Oh, that's lovely. I really like that. Mm. Love that. Mm. Love that. It 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 it's almost been downplayed this year, or not hyped that storyline of his dad being an Australian Open champion because I feel like when didn't he win the juniors here or mm. won the juniors at a different didn't he a different so actually I feel like he maybe won the juniors here Certainly I think it was here is it yeah that was when that story was kind of done wasn't it For, certainly from an insider's tennis point of view I feel like we really <laughs> have done that story we're just not doing it now and actually now is probably when we should be hyping that because it's so cool the whole family narrative is so cool he's just done this on-court interview after the match and he said i'm definitely the worst athlete in the family so far and he is he is he's (laughs) he's the least successful one 
in the family. Two it's, sisters. Two sisters. Both golfers. Both LPGA pros. Nelly, a world number one. She's not world number one right now. Is that right? You two are the I golf I don't think experts. so. I think she's been injured. Yeah, she, she has been. She has been, though. She's... Um, She's one of the biggest stars on, on the LPGA. And other sister, Jessica, mm-hmm. also an LPGA player. Uh, and he speaks so warmly about them, doesn't he? They're all really close and they spur one another on. He's he's a lovely lad, I think, Sebastian Corder. And he's got this beautiful, smooth game that's really easy on the eye. And the only question mark, as you said, has been the movement, I think. And he is clearly worked on that it's like last year he was storing something up I don't know maybe it was just sort of written off as a progress year because he he did stall in my mind and maybe that's just us wanting it all to happen for these youngsters straight away which you know is is not fair and I think what we probably do with youngsters is maybe read too much into results like there is like there are other ways of making progress than having good results and that's like working on your game and i think we, we just don't always see that because all we really see are the results and the performances but clearly there's been a lot of work done away from the court to improve him as you say and he does really seem to have to have made progress there i mean i think it was quite a good as david sort of pointed out just immediately it was quite a good match up for him like i don't think it was a massive test of that movement quite so much because Medvedev does play sort of quite quite up and down the court um so it did seem to suit Corder I think um the other sort of question mark has been a little bit of tightness in in big moments and I would say we did still see a little bit of that today he sort of lost his lead in in all the sets and ended up having to close it in sort of slightly more dramatic fashion than he would have liked and then and that his sort of tennis would have suggested because he was the better player but gosh he is so smooth so composed so poised he he hits the ball so cleanly and that idea of you're sort of wondering how Medvedev's going to win points against Korda that's been Medvedev's thing over the last few years It's, it's like how do you win points against this guy he's rock solid from the baseline he's got a huge serve he's got a great return he's got enough power and he's sort of kind of got fangs and is really resistant but that that's been missing from Medvedev the resistance ever since last year's Australian Open final to be honest it it feels like he's he's changed as a player since then for the worse um and yeah I don't know because he's been so good in Australia in in the last few years finalist last couple of years this feels like a feels like a bit of a setback really for Medvedev again yeah, it all, it's all so flimsy, isn't it? The confidence and the robustness and the resilience, which can look as good as ever against more feeble opposition, with all due respect to his, to his first two opponents. They just posed no challenge to him whatsoever, and he was able to look, you know, like a world number one again. But it's like, you know, someone that plasters on a smile and cries themselves to sleep at night. You know, it's... It's a facade. Yeah. It, it doesn't Ooh, that's... feel quite real when it's tested. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's, I am curious to know what's going on with him. Um, I, I also think that, God, he, 
He'd have had to be at his absolute best today to beat mm. Corder. I'd say he didn't play badly, I don't think. Corder was... I think Corder is coming. Horse. I mean, mm. the, Corder's game is so balanced and lovely to look at that it can be... Maybe, maybe there's a forehand slight hitch on the forehand or at least a slight weakness there that draws... More errors come off that side. Mm. And he still looks really balanced, but he still arms it a bit and all the rest of it. So... I don't think he's the finished article yet. I think you can hurt him, you can get to him, but I don't, like you say, Medvedev's game doesn't really hurt him. And it, it, his his draw is fairly open, far far more open than you would have expected that section to be at the start of the tournament. And we, you know, what's happened in uh, what is it? The bottom half of the draw, yeah, it seems to also be happening in the top half of the draw because today we also lost. Francis Tiafo at the hands of Karen Hashinov. Another, well, not another, a comeback, but not all the way back. We had these two matches happening in tandem. Francis Tiafo against Karen Hashinov on the John Kane Arena and Denis Shapovalov against Hubert Hurkacz on the second court. And it was incredible the way they were tracking one another. Tiafo and Shapovalov... I suppose Tiafo a heavier favourite than than Shapovalov, and actually may, maybe that's twisting the narrative too far. Perhaps Hubert Hurkacz, who we are always guilty of sort of underrating and underplaying, he probably was the favourite in that match on paper. But they both go two sets to love down, and yet you always feel like mm, this isn't over. Something's going to happen here. Maybe these guys were watching Andy Murray last night and know what's possible. And lo and behold, they both. Start the long trudge, <laughs> the long, long trudge um, back to competitiveness. And um, they didn't quite finish at the same stage. Shapovalov did make it into a fifth set. Tiafo had six set points to take it into a fifth. He was 6-1 in the fourth set tiebreak. How did he lose it? Well, we were... In fact, I had a tweet prepared on the, on the podcast account to say <laughs> electric tennis from Tiafo. He's found his U.S. Open tiebreak form when, of course, he won so many tiebreaks in that tournament. I think a record-breaking number. He was six-one up. He was he was playing fantastically, and then there were some cheap errors in there for sure from that position. It was almost like he had too much of a lead. He just got a little bit casual, and Hachinov wrestled it from him I mean he he shows up at slams and he's so sort of powerful from the baseline I and thought just you were going to say agricultural ag- well I was I feel like I can't really say that because that's just that's just your word um, it's David's it, word yeah, yeah it's both of your words it, it fits it does he it gets does. he without being sort of he's not showy offy fit is he? He's not Martin Fuchovic with his shirt off celebration, but he's just low key, incredibly strong. It's very Stamarinka like, isn't yeah. it? His strength and fitness, you know, getting stronger as the match goes on, seemingly. And that tallies with his career because it feels like outside of the slams, he barely registers, registers on no. our radar, and really, I, I, these days. I know we won Paris, and obviously he's had the odd result, but he. Very rarely factors in, but comes alive at slams. I think he's trying to get the most out of himself, and that's the slams is where where you want to do that. And 
Look, he, he is limited. He has a limitation on him. I don't think he's going to become a significantly better player than he always was. But he can beat people who probably have a higher ceiling. Mm. And he's done it. He's, I mean, he got a bit lucky against Jack Draper at the US Open, but he's done it against Cameron Norrie. I've seen him do it against a few players. And, and really, you know, Tiafo's thinking, and we're thinking Tiafo is going to be going deep in this tournament. And he's just a horrible roadblock to, to a player mm. like that, unless Tiafo's absolutely on it all the way through. And he, what, he was too slow out of the blocks. He was, but he was absolutely on it in that tiebreak. He was astonishing in the tiebreak. 6-1, the crowd were high on Francis oh, they were in Yaffe. a frenzy. It was like he was Aussie, you know. They, it was, they were already blocking out their calendars for the fifth set, you know, canc- cancelling whatever they had on. Um, it was just a given, you know. Francis Giaffo was in, he, he, did, he did his, you know, he does that, charismatic confident nod sort of towards his team like what are you stressing about I've got this this is fine and I trusted him and believed him I thought he was such a banker this tournament he I went when asked for my newsletter prediction yesterday my thought process was I'm not going to take any risks I just need to bank a few points and I went to Afo because that's how I'd started to feel about him at slams and look I I don't want to be too harsh on him because I don't think that's a terrible defeat at all. Um, you know, we just discussed what Hashinov can do at slams. But it is the sort of defeat that Francis Tiafo has had and has had a fair bit at slams. You know, showing us what he can do, but ultimately coming up a little bit short. And I thought there'd been a shift I really thought I, I've reframed how I feel about Francis Tiafo after the US Open last year and after saying what he said after that defeat to Alcaraz, I'll be back. I'll win this thing one day. And the new intent he's got, the, the way he's talking and fronting up to to some of the early stages of his career when he doesn't feel like he worked hard enough. I don't know, it still very well might be a new Francis Tiafo. I hope so. But... Today's defeat wasn't new, Francis. It's a different disappointment for him. And, mm. um, you know, it's a blow because the, the thing is, when you get on a run, when you do have that moment of reckoning in your life and you give everything and you will leave no stern and turns, you've got, to, you've got to make hay. You've got to start getting the results because time can pass you by. It was his birthday today as well. Oh, dear. Or yesterday. That's harsh. Yeah. Left the court topless. He spends a lot of time on court topless, Francis Tiafo. <laughs> yeah, maybe he thought, well, this outfit did look stupid after all. Mm-hmm. I liked it. It's one of those you've got to be winning outfits, I think. Yeah. My, mm. In a couple, few years' time, it might get shown to him <laughs> and he might think... Okay, did he lose in the third round in that? <laughs> <laughs> Um, what else did we have? As you mentioned, Yannick Sinner did come from two sets to love down to beat Martin, Martin Fuchovic. That was one where as soon as Sinner got on top in the third set, you thought, ah, he's, he's got this. And I know we've had other results today that have, you know, said, indicated and proven that nothing's a foregone conclusion, but he's the better player. That was Yannick one Sinner. when most of the house was asleep. 
Mm. <laughs> David, I was just doing no a really good job of talking about match. that match like I was awake for it. Ah. <laughs> well, you, you caught up. But I mean, the thing with it was, Exposed. that is the first time I think I've ever woken up to the tennis being a good hour in <laughs> to the next day. You know, and, and there's been loads going on. It was a very strange sensation. Yes, it was. But I mean, that's a sort of achievement unlocked isn't it I think coming back from two sets to love down mm-hmm. for the first time I yep. think I think that's it's quite important to do that early I always think of Carl Edmund who has got this absolutely dreadful record when he goes two sets to love down I, d- I don't think he's ever won a set when he goes two sets to love mm. down and you've got to I think build up that resistance and show players that you know you can do it you know you, just just because you're two sets up on me doesn't mean you've won and I think for someone like Sinner against a guy like Fushevich, who, as we know, is physically extremely strong, coming back from two sets down is is good. Um, although it sounded to me like Fushevich really sort of lost the plot a bit in that match. I mean, those last three sets weren't even close at all. Well, now that I've been so rudely exposed, I might as well just... <laughs> Just front up and say, slept through most of Sitsabas against Greeks, Paul. So you didn't miss much. <laughs> anybody, anybody <laughs> want to tell us about that? Well, it was, I was watching Sinner at the time, <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, it was also over in a bit of a flash. I mean, there was one close set, and I get the sense that Sitsabas is is on it. Is, is, is in as good a place as he could be right now. And I noticed that Andrew does our Twitter, said mm. he feels something is different. He thinks this might be the one. I was going to point out that tweet as well, because Andrew didn't sleep through <laughs> since the past today <laughs> and has paid more attention. You know, his other matches have been happening when our attention has been divided among, you know, lots of matches and lots of stories. I haven't watched as much of it as Andrew, but I, I take his word for it. Yeah, and I think that's the point, isn't it? Like, we have been drawn to Sitsipas in slams before because he's got himself in a bit of a pickle in, in one of the early rounds, you know, losing to Daniel Galan or he ran into Nick Kyrgios at Wimbledon. He has drawn our attention in the first week of slams. And for top players, that's usually a bad thing. I think what feels different is that he's completely sort of fuss-free. He's had really good scheduling. He's not ended up having to play really, really late and that sort of mess him up. He's just got the job done, straight sets. And that, to me, is what feels different. Like, he's just getting on with it and he's not getting embroiled in these slightly awkward matches. And he's, un- he's completely unbeaten this year, isn't he? He was unbeaten at, at at the United Cup, had some really tough wins there, I think, I which have that. helped him against Chorich and Berrettini in particular. I think he's unbeaten for the season. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, going, it's going well, isn't it? <laughs> Not doing too well with the old sleep, you see. Mm. I was distracted. Full disclosure again. <laughs> Never to hide here. Full, I was discra- distracted by my next talking point, which is pre-signed autographs. Oh yeah. Mm. This is this is a thing I do know about that Sitzabas is doing this tournament. Tell us. Well, he's got. He's dishing out, instead of signing autographs, he's dishing out pre-signed pictures of himself. Studio or action? And there also seems to be something going on involving a QR code, (laughs) which I don't quite (laughs) understand. That's very well thought through. Um, Yeah. I mean, 
as Matt said to me when I was making some disdainful comments about this yesterday, I think it was, or this morning, or time has ceased to mean anything, um, you know, it cuts out some faff. Yeah, you should be all over this. I should be all over it, but... But there's something about... Goodness me, David, imagine, imagine having pre-signed photos of yourself that you're just distributing. <laughs> it's funny you mention that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it... It's an indicator of, okay, no feet are on the ground yeah. whatsoever. You've... Yeah. Well, there's that aspect, and there's like, it's quite a nice thing to take, your, to take the time and sign mm. someone's tennis ball, or, you know, they don't want the thing that Tsitsipas is giving them signed. They want their thing signed, yeah. or their T-shirt, They or want the memory is. of, oh my it's, God, that it's, rush it's quite of a nice you signing sort of my personal one. touch. This is just yeah. sort of very clinical. It's and... not because we like your autograph, particularly. Yeah. You know, it's not... Also, has he hand-signed these photographs, well, do we think? Well, that's or a good, not? That's a or very has good he point. just stuck well, them through a photocopier about 100 I, billion times? I know what I would speculate the answer to that <laughs> question is, but I, I have no idea. Um, I mean, it's 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 innovative. It's efficient. I don't think, uh, I, I, I don't think it's that innovative. It's quite innovative for a tennis player in terms of in terms of signing is. an autograph. Nobody else has thought. I, I have thought there was one other player. I think I've seen do that before. Can't remember who it is, but I'm so, I'm sure I've seen that once before. But. It, yeah. Well, we do it's, know Sitsipas oh, likes to uh, likes to plagiarise his tweets, and so maybe he's <laughs> maybe he's copied this off someone else as well. <laughs> yeah. It, today he posted a photo of himself. Have you seen this photo of himself? I think. I mean, it is a lovely photo hitting a backhand. I think, and he's just sort of written a little tribute to the beauty of his own tennis. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. um, I think I think Stefanos and I just operate on slightly different wavelengths. I think I might think be the I think that's fairly true. safe ground <laughs> to assume. <laughs> he's he's different. Uh, last result on the men's side to cover Yuri Lahetchka. Oh yeah, I saw that one. Yes, you did, David. Beat Cameron Norrie yeah. in five sets. Uh, I know Cameron Norrie went off to get his knee strapped in the latter stages of this. But to my eye, he seemed to be moving just fine. Uh, He looked a little sort of anemic and underpowered generally, but he certainly didn't look injured. And he said in press afterwards, the knee was not the reason that he lost that match. We'll come on to what else he said in press afterwards, but just took us through what what you saw. He, He didn't look hindered to me he looked a little underpowered I would say and uh, I mean the fact that he got himself two sets to one up though and didn't win would would be a concern and would irritate him I'm sure but he was 6-4 down in the first set tie break as well I mean there were three set points for Lehechka and I feel like actually the story here is Lehechka he has a very nice game I mean it's a little similar to Corda languid relaxed, sees it well, has a beautifully sweet strike on the ball. So he ends up getting more on the ball with not not apparently a great deal of effort than Norrie does. And Norrie's heaving the ball back and forth, you know, and he's running all over the shot. And then suddenly the point's over because Lehechka's just whipped a winner. Mm. And, um, I mean, he's, he's I think he's 71 in the world. He's 21 years of age. He's He's definitely talented and definitely has... 
a positive future, I would say. But the, again, it's a bit like the thing with Tiafo and Fritz yesterday. This was supposed to be Norrie's time. And it's only one out of four Grand Slams in a year. And all the rest of it doesn't mean he's, he's a disaster suddenly. But it's a real missed opportunity. And there's a, I think there's quite a clear reason for it. You know, looking at his quotes from after the match, he was asked about the volume of tennis he'd played in the lead-up to this first Grand Slam of the year and the volume of tennis that he played in the off-season. He played um, an exhibition in Saudi Arabia and while he was there, he was quizzed about why he's playing in Saudi Arabia. Um, That's a pretty controversial thing to do. I think, and he said to give myself the best chance of winning the Australian Open. So I think when you've said that, I think judging him on how he's done at the Australian Open, I think is fair and square in terms of assessing his decisions in uh, in the off season and pre season. He was he, he fronted up and said, "I I peaked last week." I, he said, "I peaked at the United Cup," is what he said when he beat yeah. Rafael Nadal and played brilliantly. Then he went to Auckland. And continued to play well, but suffered that really crushing defeat to Richard Gasquet in the in the final. And I think emotionally, that took a lot, lot out of him because he wanted that Auckland title for, you know, to all intents and purposes, that's kind of a home title for him in Auckland. That is where he spent a lot of his his childhood. It's where his parents still live. I totally respect Auckland being a big deal. For him and him wanting to play it regardless of where it's situated in the calendar. I respect that. But top players that genuinely are contenders at makes at Grand Slams make ruthless decisions. Scheduling is such an enormous factor in success and it's not something we talk about that much because it's not very sexy it's not a particularly scintillating talking point but you know look at the top players and how they've scheduled themselves well I mean I, I made the point a few weeks ago at the start of the season let's have a look to see how these players who are playing all the way through December get on when mm. when push comes to shove at the Australian Open Casper Ruud out um Cameron Norrie out and Taylor Fritz won a, a million dollars at some exhibition. That was Saudi Arabia. That was the same yeah, one. Right. Saudi Arabia. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, and, and I can't prove cause and effect, but that's how I felt at the time. And here we are. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Speaking of here we are, Zhu Lin, 2-1 up, 15 love serving uh, against six seed Maria Sakkari. Sakkari's got her right where she wants Absolutely. her. She's gone down a break in the third. This I, is smart, I genuinely <laughs> would be more worried about Sakkari if she had the break right now. Oh, yeah, I, I said that completely seriously. <laughs> but, if she, but if she's going to win the match, she's got to be ahead at some yeah, point. Yeah, she can yeah, time it. it she can that time is, it. You've, you've hit the nail on the head, David, Re. <laughs> Resport, resport, and Sakari's <laughs> problem. Uh, we'll keep you posted on that, even though you already know the result as you're listening to this. In terms of the women's matches today, uh, we had some real contrast, didn't we? We had Jessica Bagula just in a total hurry dismissing Marta Kostiuk six love, six two. We all thought this was tricky. I hovered over Marta Kostiuk winning that in and I, and the newsletter predictions. Mm, I, I think I said, <laughs> mm, yeah, good shout. You know, I, I have Bagula winning the title. I think she'll fight through, but this is a test. She laughed in the face of that test. I thought this was a real statement from Pagula. She's entered women's doubles and mixed doubles. She did lose in the mix today, but I just think that's brilliant from Pagula that she's doing that. It's real John McEnroe stuff, you know, using... The doubles for her practice. I think that's absolutely brilliant. And she plays Barbora Krejcikova next. Yeah. Who's just quietly playing some of her absolute best tennis, Krejcikova. Yeah, I, I didn't see this match live because it was three hours after I'd gone to bed. But, <laughs> um, What's that all about? <laughs> but I went back and looked at Krejcikova's transcript and she was buzzing with how she'd played. And... She sort of listed everything that she was pleased with, and well, sort she of... asked to list, list three strengths, <laughs> and came up with four. Came up with sort of eighteen. <laughs> well, what she did do was basically describe all the shots in tennis and said that she was doing them well. You know, her serve, her return, her ground strokes, and her footwork. I think, or her movement, were the were sort of what she picked out, and. 
I'm really, really, really excited for this mm. match. Just, just as a, as a tennis match, you know. I think because Pagula is probably in the best form of anyone on the tour right now. If you look at her results this season, yeah, she's barely dropping games. Other than having, you know, after she lost the opening match of the season against Kvitova, she's just been flawless. But Krejcikova has been there and done it at a slam. And is de- I still think she's deceptively good. And you can overlook Krejcikova all too easily. I'm sure I have done. And, and, you can, and you can sort of look at her results on paper and go, oh, she's done nothing since winning the French Open. She was injured for so much of that. So and then long. when she was coming back got COVID at the most inopportune time. You know, I'm not sure how many of her results she's been fully fit for since she won that French Open. Mm. I can't wait for that match. Could, that could be a match of the tournament. Style-wise, yeah. I think it, it's a good recipe as yeah. well. I'm really excited for it. Um, Iga Sviantek said, uh, I see that love and two, Jessica, and I raise you six love, six one. Bagel in and a breadstick. minutes mm. against Christina Boucher, the uh, qualifier from Spain, that denied us Sviantek Andrescu. Mm. If you're going to deny us that, yeah, got to win more than one game. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, uh, that's uh, harsh because Sviantek, <laughs> it's very tough to win more than one game mm, against Sviantek. But I, but I, 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 I was thinking about Andrescu. It would have been so interesting to see about that. what Andrescu if she could have had any answers to that. Yeah, look, she'd, she'd probably have lost Andrescu, yeah. but I want to see it. I want to yeah. see... Several that. times. Yeah, like every week for the rest of my life. <laughs> let's, uh, let's have it. Uh, Coco, there was some uh, commiserating on Twitter. Bianca, it's like Bianca Andrescu discovered Twitter this week. She's just... <laughs> She's in her Twitter era, as she yes, said. Yes, in her own words. Um, and she did some commiserating what? with Thanasi Kokonakis oh. um, about losing from a winning position. Mm. Mm. We shouldn't have lost then, should you, Bianca? Anyway, uh, Coco Goff lost a whopping five games against Bernarda Perra and plays Yelena Ostapenko next. Oh, my word. I didn't know she was still in the tournament. Mm. Mm. I think... Today's women's matches were all about setting up yes. amazing next round matches in, in this half of the draw. Because and I think Goff that could Ostapenko, be the case tomorrow as well. Yeah, the, I think so. The matches on paper don't look great tomorrow. But I think it's that sort of flat first week, amazing second week yeah. kind of conundrum. I think we get through this and next week could be incredible. Yeah, because the one I'm... Just as excited for is Sviontek Rabatkina. Like, when's that? That is on Sunday. Oh, okay. Is today Friday? No. Yes, today was today was Friday. It's now very much Saturday, but that will be on Sunday. <laughs> Forget all that. <laughs> that was extremely up. confusing. <laughs> um, it's in two days. Okay. And I'm really excited about that. That feels like a proper test. For Sviontek, these courts, these conditions suit Rybakina. She was asked, as she sort of always is in press conferences, about her new status and whether she's being respected enough. And she, she said both, I don't care what court I'm on, and also it's motivation for me 
so that next time they don't put me on court 13. Like, I think she really does care. She really isn't happy about I'm it. I'm really glad she cares. Me and too. Isn't happy. She, she shouldn't, shouldn't be. be. And she's got this, you know, I keep thinking about that press conference after she won Wimbledon when everyone was just disappointed in her for not showing more outward emotion. And, you know, she's sort of been been categorized as this sort of emotionless zombie person that doesn't care enough and i don't know it shows a bit of steel and a bit of fang that she's pissed off that she's on court 13 as a wimbledon Mm. champion yeah and tennis players with a bit of a point to prove yeah dangerous you know and you know andy murray's been doing it for years and you know it's in a very different way that rebecca is doing it but i think it is there and she beat Collins today. I think it was six two five seven six two, and Collins did really well to turn it into a sort of Collins style match in that second set. She made it a scrap. She she took her only break point to to pinch the second set, but Rebecca was was on top in this match. She was she was clearly the better player, and I think that's really dangerous for Sviontek. You know, like that serve. Her ground strokes in these conditions, I don't know. Like, if Rebekkan is playing well, how do you stop her is sort of just what I've got in my mind. But mm. probably if anyone can, it is Sviontek. So I'm so, so excited for that match. They, they've got a history going back to juniors, haven't they? Sviontek was asked to recall sort of early meetings with Rebekkan and she remembers Rebekkan beating her on clay. Yes. In the juniors. And she said that she got really tight in that match because uh, it was streamed on the internet and she was aware (laughs) that people were watching her. (laughs) She said it like she was sort of an old person talking about the internet, didn't she? It was streamed on the internet. (laughs) As if she's not someone that was sort of born into an internet era. Um, Yeah, Danielle Collins, she sort of... It was, she's made sort of a scene-stealing cameo in this tournament, hasn't she? Mm. But you won't remember her for being significant in terms of results, you know, third round loss. But she really gave us the Danielle Collins experience through three yes, rounds. Absolutely. I'm, I'm grateful to her for yeah, that. I, I, in some ways, I think I'll remember more about this run than last year's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And just as a little tease, as if... Uh, as if having the chance to win the um, the on-location package for the Miami Open wasn't enough. Um, another reason to subscribe to the newsletter is an excellent Sviontek rabakina related stat, which I assisted with today. Oh, mm. I, I did. I was Matt's research assistant. Oh, it was great. It was amazing. I, I haven't Matt even, set me to work. I haven't even seen the stat yet. I learned new things about how to use Wikipedia. Oh. <laughs> it was great. Big day. <laughs> uh, yes. So make sure you subscribe to the newsletter, everyone. Always, um, always sounds a bit scary when she says that, doesn't it? I just, I genuinely... It's, and it's this, a little bit of a threat. This comes from this somebody point. that is very... I do a um, an inventory of crap, pointless newsletters that I've had to subscribe to for a discount code uh, of some sort <laughs> on some clothes mm. that I don't need. I do it sort of monthly because I am subscribed to all sorts of nonsense. Yeah, okay. Um, so this comes from that place. I just don't understand why anybody wouldn't... If you like this podcast... <laughs> I don't. I don't get why you wouldn't want the newsletter because it's really good. It's good. It, it's it's 
it's really good. We've it's, nailed I promise, it. It's not just, you know, <laughs> anyway. Why wouldn't you want Matt's stat every day? Yeah, and our predictions. <sighs> Madison Keys, bit of a collapse <laughs> from her against Victoria Azarenka. I don't know how to view this. Like, is Azarenka happening again? I feel like... Did anybody see the first set? Yes. What? Tell me about the first set, because I saw two and three. Oh, okay. Explain it to me. Well, Azarenka was really having trouble with her serve in that first set, and honestly, Keyes was looking great. I, I, I just thought, wow, Madison Keyes is flying here. She was crushing the ball as she does. Um, just, comp- as I said, completely dominating Azarenka's serve, and I just felt like she was going to go on to win this match. It just looked like this was just going to be over very, very straightforwardly. And then, almost without anything happening, Keyes lost her game. And I think she just gave Azarenka an inch. And Azarenka was then sort of competitive. And you don't want to... I don't think Keyes wants to get into a sort of any kind of battle with Azarenka because Azarenka's a a much sort of better match player, I would say. She craves a, a contest it. and a head-to-head. And Absolutely a, on, loves it. And throw the, down. And the early stages of that second set turned into that. And right. that just sort of completely I, changed the feel of the match. I mean, I saw sets two and three and, and Madison Keys looked like a park player, mm. the way she was missing. And she seemed to have no control over normal rally shots. Yeah. And the, the thing that has always got me with her is I don't think she really knows what to be because mm. she's a massive ball striker. And it, when it goes in, it's like the first set, mm. 6-1. It, it's amazing. But she's probably, I'm sure she's been told so many times there's only so far that can take you because you have to be consistent. You have to find patterns that work and don't result in a you know, wheelbarrow full of enforced errors. And so she, even, and in late in the second set, she was trying, or third set, she was trying to rally with Azarenka and not miss and, and be, you know, and Azarenka's quite happy to do that with you all day. And then eventually she would miss because she just panics or she doesn't have that level of control. It's, I, she's got a, had a good career at Madison Keys in terms of, you know, solid semifinals and quarterfinals and a, and a final. But I'm still underwhelmed by what she's done, given her talent. And I feel bad saying that because she seems like a lovely person. I don't know her personally, but she always comes across really well. But I always thought she'd she'd do more than she has. Brad Gilbert confidently predicted on this podcast, um, this was during the time that he had blocked you on Twitter, David. Yeah, I don't know if you're aware of this. (laughs) Uh, Confidently predicted on on this podcast (laughs) that she would be a world number one. And that just didn't seem controversial at the time, did it? No. It was a bold statement to put it out there, but it wasn't like, whoa. And then I put that to Martina Navratilova in commentary, and she said, I think she might do it sooner. Yeah. Back then. Feels that like was, a long time that ago. A, that was about 2014, it? 15. It was, a, it was a long time ago. Um, I've written in my um, extremely premature notes here, Zachary next for Azarenka. But as we come to you, Zachary trails 2-3 in uh, the deciding set with Zhu Lin and I don't think we're going to get the result of this in this pod but it could be that Felix Auger-Liassime is the last Netflix kid standing 
at the fourth round stage as if he needed extra pressure <laughs> to be successful. Who's he got now? He plays Yuri Lehechka. And I think that's that could, dangerous That could be a him. good match. Because like, the thing with Felix is he's, he is a patterns player. And, mm. and when it's going well, he is relentless and very difficult to beat. But Lehechka's more of a sort of flair player. He's a talent, that guy. Yeah, I liked Felix over Norrie in, in, in that fourth round. He's got a really good record against Norrie. 5-1, I think. Lehechka's a bit of a curveball in there uh, that that's that's tricky he was he was a bit better today or Aliasim he started better he won the first set 6-1 against Francisco Sarundolo dropped the second and then won the third and fourth you know pretty comfortably he's still not playing his best tennis and I still think sooner rather than later he's he's gonna need to find it and the thing is with the Lehechka match he's so much the favorite on paper to mm. win it I know that we've all paid attention to Yuri Lehechka today because he was playing a Briton. David, you were commentating on it, so we know what he can do and what he's capable of and that he's far better than his ranking. But people are going to look at that draw and go, wow, it's really opened up for Felix. What an opportunity. And that's a test for him mentally. And, and really, it has opened up for him. I mean, I, I totally take all your points, but this is a big test for him. Yeah. I think we find out quite a lot more about Felix this week, this next 10 days. And yeah. about Matt's predictions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excited for it. <laughs> <laughs> He's not backing down. Um, on, what Felix. have we got to look forward to tomorrow? I don't know why I'm clicking on the link because I know exactly what we've got to look forward to tomorrow, and that's anxiety <laughs> and lack of sleep. <laughs> who Does that is, mean Andy Murray's play? Who is ready for it? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe. He's playing Roberto Bautista Agu. T- tennis <laughs> gods are trolling us. Four years on. From Honestly. The, from the retirement match. <laughs> and, the, and the ceremony. And the video. Yeah. So, <laughs> please tell me somebody's unearthed that video on Twitter. We'll, we'll look into it for you folks. You mean the I retirement need, ceremony Yeah, the video. retirement ceremony. Oh, it's, it's out there. It's on, it's on the Australian Open's YouTube page, I believe. <laughs> Caroline Wozniacki asking him to coach her. Yeah, Caroline Wozniacki <laughs> and Roger two, Federer now both retired. She's had two kids. Yeah, he's still going. He's, he looks better than he did then. <laughs> he does. Right, tomorrow. <laughs> oh, Zachary back on serve. She's timed she her comeback. Maybe gone too soon. Who um, could say? The, um, the appetizer ahead of the trauma tomorrow is uh, <laughs> Gracheva against Karolina Pliskova, who I'm well aware we've not mentioned, so will probably win the title. Uh, they're first <laughs> on uh, Rod Laver Arena. Then Camilla Georgie against Belinda Bencic. Benjamin Bonzi takes on Alex de Menor last <laughs> in the day session and then night session is Grigor Dimitrov against Novak Djokovic followed by Magda Lynette and Ekaterina Alexandrova and I hate that scheduling I hate that that's on last after Dimitrov Djokovic which we all know could be a marathon mm. because yeah. if Dimitrov's got any sense about him he needs to make that physical and even if it's not a marathon it's likely to be two and a yeah. half three hours and then you're looking at go on court yeah, at 10 and o'clock. everybody knows that as much as that could be a brilliant match, Magdalenette and Katerina Alexandrova, not many people know those two. They're not big names. No one will stick around to watch it. And it'll be empty and it'll look crap. And it'll be bad for the players. 
The second court. <laughs> what what a Hi- hype woman I am. <laughs> I was going to say, get your tickets tomorrow. <laughs> I think it could be great. But yeah. we all know, no one will, you know, we know it's great. Yeah. But I don't expect your average tennis punter to go, oh, Magdalenette, Katerina Alexandrova. I do, I do find it slightly... A, 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 a surprising choice that they've chosen that particular match. It seems to me that they're getting rightly a lot of criticism for the late finish last night and they're anticipating another late finish after Djokovic Dimitrov and they want a far more low key match in that slot so that people don't kick up such a fuss. You know, mm-hmm. if it's if it's only Magdalene and Ekaterina Alexandra and that's slot it's going to have much less attention than it being Andy Murray and, and Tanasi Kokonakis that's that's how it feels that might be me being sort of overly cynical but that is how it feels and it doesn't really feel like a Rod Laver Arena match but it and, it and it would probably be better played during the day in a proper atmosphere on a court sort of that suits it I don't know like court three or Kia Arena somewhere instead it I don't know. It feels it feels a little bit sort of dastardly that bit of a stitch up that scheduling. Yeah, yeah and and they've put a doubles match on after Murray Bautista Agu, Rinky Hijikata and Jason Kubler against Lloyd Glasspool, Harry Heliavara, as if anybody with a ticket for the second court tomorrow night is thinking, oh, I might not get my money's worth out of Andy Murray, Roberto Bautista Agu. Fancy fancy a bit more tennis there. Fancy watching some athletes that have been sent out at. Midnight, mm. after the food kiosks have closed. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? They um, love. I mean, they love the doubles here. They love a home player, but yeah, it is so. You don't. You so don't need late. it. I'm not. I'm not. It's yeah. nothing about that match. No, but, but I it's agree. Somewhere it, where it'll have a the lateness of it all. Crowd just, and you know those players won't be put through, you know, whole evening of waiting and wandering and anyway, day session on that court. Nuria Prizes Diaz against Donna Vekic, then Andre Rublev. Against Dan Evans, interesting one that. Sabalenka Mertens, third on there. They're, of course, doubles partners or have been doubles partners, lost lots in the past, one slams together. And then it is the trauma, <laughs> the anxiety, the sleep deprivation that is Andy Murray against Roberto Bautista Rigu. How is this happening? Uh, what's <laughs> on the John Kane Arena tomorrow? Uh, Ugo and Bear against Holger Runa. Alexi Popperin against Ben Shelton. The Sitsipas brothers are playing in doubles on the Kia Arena. I had no idea they were entered. Yeah, Stephanos I think they got their first is Grand Slam win together Petros. in round Petros one. Petros has won a Grand Slam match. Well done, Petros. Wonder who did the work. Do you think he has signed autographs that he gives out as well? Oh, if he does, I want one. Do you know? I really want one and I want to <laughs> post it. it Nothing would surprise me. <laughs> I bet he does. <laughs> uh, JJ Wolf, Michael Moe. Stefan has said that Siegmund. no tennis player works as hard as Petros. Yeah. Yeah, actual <laughs> quote. Sorry, Rafa. Petros, see. <laughs> no tennis player works as hard as Petros. Uh, Caroline Garcia, Laura Siegman. That is on Kia Arena. Uh, we have a Fruvitova. Like Linda mm. against Marketa von Drosheva. In- intrigued on by that one. 1573. 
Zheng Shui uh, and Katie Volleynet. That's the one I was looking for. And Tommy Paul against Jensen Brooksby. That's on court mm. three tomorrow. And oh, Goff and Pegula are paying doubles on court three, second on tomorrow. Tommy Paul against Jensen Brooksby yeah. feels like a bit of an aggro place oh, to be it? to me. Yeah. I think all the places that Jensen Brooksby goes are a potential well, aggro place. Brooksby's, he winds people up. Brooksby's not one of the bros, He's is not he? in the gang. Yeah. So. And he's okay with it. I love that. I want to see that. Mm. Um, Maria Zachary has not got the job done, and she's got a lead at the moment. So it's all hold on to everything. Hold <laughs> on to your hats, folks. We're not going to get the result in, but that doesn't matter because you already know the result as you're looking at this and as you're listening to this. Rather, oh dear, we need to go to sleep, don't we? <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell you that Cordelia is our mascot for this Australian Open. She's a lovely cat. There's a picture of her on our Instagram at the moment. So head over there for all sorts of content. It's uh, You've been flying today. It's a fun place to be. Yeah. Uh, David, Maisie, how right, you Maisie. Doing? Another win for us today, Maisie. Uh, Nishioka did the job. We're, we're rolling. Matt, Darwin. Yeah, points today. Needed thanks, them. Thanks to Rebecca. I really did need them. <laughs> Uh, I did Francis Tiafo was my banker Zenia and it didn't go well Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Ilana Kloss we have our top folks Jamie, Drew and Hannah they're our executive producers and we thank them very much for being so and we have the long awaited return of shout outs we do we have just three today and the first is for pauline in alexandria virginia oh, pauline like pauline parmontier wow catherine pulled it out the bag that's, there didn't i that's so huge. good <laughs> thank you so much for coming because i was going to just sit here staring at you <laughs> pauline oh thank you so much for thank being a friend you, of the pod though We've also got uh, Ji Yong Yao in Seattle, Washington. Oh, that's on my to visit list. Although I don't think the weather is very good. Home of the Seahawks. It's sea sort hawks. of famously the. I don't care. The, I... like you know most cloud like the rainiest city. Yeah, I want to be there in the rain with all the Seattle Seahawks fans. I feel like that's an achievable dream for you, <laughs> yeah, David. I'm up for it. Ji Yong says, you, uh, started listening to the podcast during Federer's run at the 2017 Australian Open. I was a big Federer fan back then, but listening to the podcast has turned me into a big tennis fan. Oh, I nice. love that, Ji Yong. Thank you. That's six years ago. Mm. How's that happened? Gosh. Ji yeah. <laughs> Yong, thanks so much. And finally, we've got Stefan. I'm not sure how to pronounce this surname. Wagen, maybe, in Erdorf, which is next to Zurich in Switzerland. Oh. Well, I've been to Zurich. Yeah, I've been through Zurich. Zurich. How do I say it? Zurich. Um, Stefan, like Edberg, the old. In fact, I've been to Zurich with here. Stefan Edberg. <laughs> <laughs> now we're talking. We didn't travel together. I made, <laughs> my, uh, made that sound misleading. <laughs> I've been in Zurich with Stefan Edberg. What's Stefan Edberg like, Catherine? Exactly as you'd expect. Lovely. Lovely, doesn't age. Yeah. Um, actually, 
A bit of aggro between him and Goran Ivanovic at the um, Legends, the oh, Champions Tour event that I was yeah. working at out there, out there. It's a story for another time, yeah, this Stefan. Is pre-podcast days, Matt. And mm. I, I just remember, I, I think it was like an early omen that we were going to have a podcast because Catherine was very quickly in touch to tell me all about it and we got very excited. <laughs> I will tell you the punchline <laughs> and I'll promise to, to tell the story in full on a podcast in the future. I'm getting good at these teases, aren't I? The punchline to the story is Goran Ivanovic throwing a runners-up trophy in the bin. <laughs> And on that note, folks... His plate. His plate. He doesn't like plates. Uh, On that note, folks, I'll say thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting to our friends of the pod. And we will speak to you tomorrow. It's today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.